listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, broadcasting from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. For those of you returning, thanks for listening. Tales has been downloaded in as many as 122 cities worldwide in eight countries. So thank you for forwarding and reposting. I really appreciate it. This episode asks the question, how many chances does a thrill-seeking moron get before his or her luck runs out? I'll share seven of my stories, as well as this unbelievable golf cart crash that landed my friend Josh in the hospital with at least 35 stitches, a DUI, and a story that he gets to tell for the rest of his life. And after the crash that he had, I'm not sure at the time he thought he was going to have the rest of his life. I mean, what lives inside all of us that either triggers or prevents us from thrill-seeking? So I thought I'd do a little research just to see what the hell motivates me to do some of the stupid things I've done. So I'm researching, and first I go to WebMD, and trust me, you don't want to go to WebMD, because every time I get off of WebMD, I feel like I I possibly have some terminal illness. So I got off that site, and then I went to this Harvard EDU, and from there, I relearned that it's all about the amygdala. And while that might be true, I just say amygdala schmygdala. The truth is, when you see fists baseballs, lacrosse balls, football helmets, ice, snow, water, the ground, or even a telephone pole racing towards your head, you're limited in your choices of action. You either run, duck, or take it head on and hope for the best. Whatever the heck you've got going on with your limbic system that got you there in the first place, you better hope that it works to protect you, and it better work fast. So I dedicate this episode to Tracy's nieces, Jessica, Lindsay, and Shannon, and her sister, Joy, who asked Rich, can you please do an episode that's not all about golf? Yeah, sure. So ladies, I'm fine with that. I'm going to talk to eight stories, six of which have nothing to do with golf. But since this is Tales from the First Tee, I am going to interject two stories that have to do with golf. And of course, it has to do with crash landings. So here's my first one. I'm working the first tee the other day, and one of the players that I see all the time, he's a really good player, and and I think he's worked there before. Young guy, hits the ball a mile, and scores really well. His name is Josh. He comes up, and he's got a little time. He's waiting for two other partners. And we get into a conversation, and quite frankly, I don't know what led us to this conclusion of where he went. But he started telling me this story about crashing a golf cart and getting a DUI. And I was thinking, well, he must have taken it out on the road, hit something in the middle of the highway, out in public roads, and obviously he was drinking. But that's not what happened. So here's his story. He's playing at Dunes West around a year or so ago, and Dunes West is another semi-private course. Uh, It's a beautiful course surrounded by a really nice neighborhood. And 
Josh is out with some friends and he's out playing 18 holes and they're starting to have a few drinks and more drinks. And he gets done and he had to stop because he was invited to this wine tasting. So he had to get in the car and I think somebody else drove him and he went to this to downtown and went through this whole wine tasting. So now he drank even more and more. And whatever propelled him to get back in the car and drive back to the golf course, he decided he was going to play 18 more holes. And I think it was a buddy of his who provoked him to do it. So now he gets back to Dunes West, and he is blotto. But he's such a good golfer, he believes that he could have as good a game, if not better, drunk. Or he just wanted to keep drinking. I don't know. He didn't share that with me, but he's such a good golfer. I've played with so many good golfers that drink and just seem to get better where I drink and I get horribly worse. So he's out. Now he's golfing. And as he's telling me this story in the afternoon, he is so drunk. He can't remember any shots that he made. He can't remember any holes. All he remembers is he was driving the golf cart in a private area in Dunes West and was flooring it, and I guess he was playing some game or racing carts out in the parking lot, and he smashes into this golf curb. And when he smashes going full speed, he goes flying forward. And if you've seen golf carts these days, they have these metal poles on each side that hold the roof on them. And he went flying into the metal pole, got knocked down on the ground, and started bleeding profusely. So they had to call 911 because he split his head open. And 911 comes, and of course, when they come, a policeman has to come to do a report. And when they see the condition that he's in, they take him to the hospital, they do a report, and then they stitch up his head. And I've, with this, I've accompanied a picture of Josh's head after he got stitches because you don't want to see the first picture of before he got the stitches. Although I showed it to Tracy, and she was like, wow, that is so cool because she's special when it comes to things like that. So he gets over 35 stitches. Now, because he was drinking and driving a golf cart and the police had to show up, he now gets a DUI. So not only is he not going back to Dunes West anytime soon, the only way that he could drive his car in the future is to go to work and back. So because he's drinking and driving a golf cart and he gets in an accident, His whole life has changed. So kids, here's my first lesson. If you're going to drink and drive a golf cart, I highly suggest just keep it out of the parking lot. All right, right, clan, here's your first non-golf story. It started with my brother and I. I was seven. He was eight years old. And we're at Bobby Kerper's house. And Bobby Kerper lived like a few blocks away from us. And he had all the cool toys. So we'd be over there a lot. And it's around dinner time. And now my brother and I, who had ridden our bikes together over there, decide it's time to go home. And our house was like on this oval road where you could either go left or right. If you went left, you had to go uphill. Then you ended up coming around the curve and you came downhill to our house. If you went right, you started downhill, but then as you got around the curve, you had to start going uphill. So our house was directly across from the Kerpers on the other side of the oval. Okay, so I've painted the picture. 
My brother starts going left up the hill and I start going right. And neither of us know what the other one's thinking, but I'm going to beat him home. And so I start going down the hill and I am going as fast as possible. I'm like Pee Wee Herman. And I'm driving, I'm going around and I'm starting to make the curve. And I'm thinking, look, he isn't thinking about this. And he's probably just going to take his time going up the hill and probably coast down on the other side. As I come around the curve and I could kind of see our house, I've got to go uphill a little bit. I see my brother at the top of the hill on the other side and he is starting to race down. And I am pedaling to go up. And he's racing down, and I'm going up, and he's racing down, I'm going up. And I think, I got it, because I started downhill, so I, I'm sure I had an advantage. And as we're getting closer and closer, he is speeding full force coming down the hill, and I could see the whites of his eyes. He's thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Let's get home first. Who's going to beat who? So we both arrive at the driveway at exactly the same time. So I lean right to try and get my bike to turn right into the driveway. He is coming full speed. I don't know if he even leans. He crashes into me. We both go flying off the bikes. Now, I'm on the ground. I don't know what's happened because I think we either hit heads or our heads hit the ground. So I am just, you know, I'm starting to see canaries over my head. I open my eyes. And I see my mom picking up my brother. Now, she'll say she didn't do this or pick him up first, or he seemed to be bleeding more than I was bleeding. Either way, she's picking him up, and she's walking him into the house. And I'm like, what the hell, mom? And so she walks him in the house, and I think she comes out to get me later. I don't remember. But we both had chipped teeth. Both of us are the front of our teeth, and we had to go to our dentist. And then he had to fill in with a composite tooth or something like that. But my problem is this when it comes to any situation like that. When I start to feel I'm getting like in a competitive situation, I start hearing music in my head. And I keep hearing the same type of song. hear music like this in your head how do you not muster up adrenaline to just make your body go faster or do something faster Uh, it's a curse years later I was down and I was in my early 20s I was down in Isla del Sol which is this small community right outside of St. Pete Beach it's actually on Boca Ciega Bay and It was a beautiful area, and right out on the bay, they had this small fleet of Hobie Cat, like 16-foot catamarans that they rented. And so every time I went down there, both my brother and I would rent them, and this guy whose name escapes me, but I think it was something like Skipper. He was a college-age kid, and he was responsible for the fleet as well as teaching people how to use the Hobie Cat. So my brother and I would go down there often, and he would show us. It was really cool. It had these two sails, a rudder, and it even had this harness. And you'd harness in, and you'd take the cats out. And over time, he taught us how to fly a hull. And that's basically a catamaran has two hulls, and when you put the harness on and you pull the sails tight, particularly the mainsail, and you're aiming in a certain direction with the wind hitting it, the side that you are on 
starts to lift up out of the air. And you've got this harness and you lean back. And the more you lean back and the more you can get this hole to go up to like 45 degrees, the faster the boat goes. And it's like an awesome feeling. So over time, Skipper taught us how to do this. And we would go out there and we'd start racing the boats. And this story is not about how my brother and I crashed the boats. But it is a crash story. Over time, we got to know Skipper pretty well. And what we learned, and I think he kind of hinted this, is that giving him a bottle of vodka would give us free access to the cats for the entire stay that were there. So he didn't care what brand it was. It just had to have a handle on it, which was fine because typically handles cost less than some of the expensive vodkas. So anyway, we'd go down And we'd give Skipper a bottle, and then we'd have access for the whole time. And I started getting to a point where I thought I really know how to sail these cats. And this is where it led me to trouble. So a few months later, I had met this girl who later became my girlfriend, who actually later became my wife. And I wanted to impress her. So she comes down, I get out there, I introduce her to Skipper, I had already given him a bottle of vodka, and he's like, guys, go ahead. And now it's just she and I, and there, we got two harnesses, and I'm explaining the whole thing, and she's like, okay, you know, let's go. And so we start hanging out, it's a windy day, and it's so windy that the water has white caps, and this is Bocasiega Bay, it is typically a calm bay, but it's a windy day. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. I mean, my adrenaline is starting to pump. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking we are going to have the ride of our lives. So I start taking it out, and I'm pretty easy in the beginning. And I start doing a few moves where the hull starts coming out just a little bit and then goes back down in the water. And I'm starting to get excited. And then all of a sudden, I start hearing that music again in my head. I'd never capsized a boat before, so I'm feeling pretty cocky. And I just look at uh, my partner and I say, you ready? And she goes, ready for what? And I pull the mainsail, I lean it towards the wind, and our hole comes up, up, up like 30 degrees, 35, 40, 45 degrees. We are leaning back and this thing is cruising. And I mean, the water is splashing up in our faces and we must be five feet in the air and we're getting water in our faces and I am yelling, Yoo-hoo! Woo! And she is yelling, shit, 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 shit. And we are flying. We are flying. And I'm thinking at this time, okay, let me just pull it a little bit more. The music in my head is getting louder and and I'm like, I am just loving this. And I pull the sail a little too tight and I think I do something with the rudder. And we go from forty five degrees to fifty to 60, to 70. Now I'm starting to get a little nervous because I've never been up this high and I just don't think it's the right thing to do. And she is still yelling, shit, shit, shit. And I pulled it a little tighter. The mast goes down in the water, which almost immediately stops the boat. The sails are in the water. We go flying over the boat and we got these wires, harnesses holding on to us, flying over into the water. And, you know, we're wearing life vests. So we're above water, but she was pretty shaken up, and I didn't want to show that I was shaken up, but holy shit, this had never happened before, and we were flying. 
So now we're trying to get the boat back up and decapsize it. And I've never done that before. And we're both trying to get on one side and lean back and we cannot get the sail and the mast out of the water. Well, thank God there was somebody in this power boat that wasn't too far away who came up to us to give us help and basically said, we were watching the whole time. You guys were flying. And I'm sitting in the water going, I know, right? It was great. And the guy's like, yeah, let me help you up. And he comes and he gets his boat and he gets one of the, I guess, one of the ropes and starts pulling it back. The boat lifts out of the water. We get back on and (laughs) she didn't talk to me the rest of the sail trip. But quite frankly, I think we took it. We zigged and we zagged. We did not get the hull out of the water. And that was probably the first indication for her that you sure you want to be hanging with this guy. So kids, the moral to this story, when life gets a little crazy, just lighten up on the mainsail. This next story takes place around eight years later. Living in San Clemente, and we both were playing a lot of golf, and this is the same gal that I took out on the Hobie Cat. And so we're, it's a beautiful day, it's sunny, we go to San Clemente Municipal Golf Course, and we start playing, I think we have a few beers. And the golf carts there at this time had no roofs. So it was basically looks like a plain golf cart, but there's no metal poles in front and there's no roof. So and in Southern California, it really doesn't rain that much. And people just like the sun and they like the feel of the wind. And I don't know, maybe they were cheaper because it was a municipal course. So we're out playing and we get to the, I think it was the 15th hole. It's this par three with this elevated tee box. And you're looking way down. It's like 160 yards away and maybe 30 or 40 yards down below you is the green. So it's in between you and the green. There is this deep barranca with all this forest and trees and sometimes water on on rainy days. And then maybe 30 yards before the green, there's a little grass and it starts going, you know, uphill. The pitch is uphill to the green. So a lot of times, most people that miss the green, they hit it over the barranca. And if they don't hit the green, they hit this landing area that's kind of pitched that typically you have to walk to to get to. You can't take your cart there. There's really no area to get your cart there. So we go and hit our shots, and we're playing with this other couple, these other two guys, and they're really nice, and, you know, they're putting up with us while we're drinking and playing golf. And um, first, uh, Karen goes to hit the ball, and she hits her shot down in the barranca. So we've got to figure out a way to get around, go down, because we think we see the ball. It's right before where the fairway starts. And so now I hit a shot, and it just so happens I hit like a career shot. It is maybe a foot or so from the pin. I mean, the guys were with her clapping. They thought it was going to be a hole-in-one. And I'm like, hey, that's great, man. This is going to be like a kick-in birdie. So the two of us get back in our cart, and we're driving around the cart path. And then as we get down towards the barranca, right where the fairway comes in, there are these two manual single-leaf swing barrier gates, which basically means they're like 20 feet apart from each other, and they have these swing gates that typically connect at around three or four feet high, and they typically have a lock on them. Well, as we get there, there's no lock on them, 
And the one on the right is a, is open. The gate is swung a little bit open. So I think, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea to go flying down and shoot the golf cart into this open gate, which I believed at the time would swing open the gate, and we'd go flying down that fairway part, which we shouldn't be driving to anyway, and then we can go down and get our ball. So again, that music gets in my head. So I start speeding up the golf cart, and I look at her, and I say, hold on. And she's like, what do you mean, hold on? And we start going flying down. We're heading toward this fence. And again, I'm like, yeah. And she's like, shit, shit, shit. And as we go flying, the gate on the right hits the front of my cart and flies open. And I'm thinking, yeah. But the gate on her side, for some reason, didn't swing open. And this gate hits the front of the cart, and it slips up and goes over the cart and then catches her leg. And as we're going forward, the gate starts to swing open, but it caught her leg enough. So it put a slight little gash, let's say. Not stitches, but certainly black and blue type result gash down the side of her leg. And she's yelling in pain, and I'm stopping it, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm an idiot. So I stop the cart. I go I go to get her. I pull her out of the cart just to see that she's okay, and I'm looking at her leg, and it doesn't look that bad to me, but I'm not the one yelling in pain. Meanwhile, the cart keeps going forward and keeps going forward. Now it's going down that pitch of the fairway down towards the barranca, and it's going faster and faster. I forgot to put the brakes on. I was nervous. I thought she was hurt. And so now the cart's flying down in the branca. It goes flying into it. The back wheels go up in the air, fly back down. Now there is no way we're pulling this cart out of the branca. So I make sure she's okay. The guys come over. They're like helping her and stuff, getting her on their cart. And meanwhile, I go over. I pull our golf clubs out, and now we're going to head back home. I mean, it's like enough is enough, right? So the guys were so nice. They're like, look, it's only a few holes from here. We'll walk from here. You guys go ahead and take the cart back. If you need to go to the hospital, you know, here's our number. Give us a call. We'll help you out any way we can. They're really nice. So she's seems like she's doing better, but still in a little bit of pain, and I've got to get her back. So we get in the cart. We put our clubs on the cart, take theirs off, and we start driving up around the green because we have to pass it to now get down past to the, go to the clubhouse. And I look up at the green, I'm slowing down, and my ball is inches from the pin. And she just looks at me and says, no, you're not doing that. You know, because maybe I had thoughts of maybe let me just put it in for the birdie. So we go, we get back to the clubhouse. I go in, I know the guy who's the starter, and I go, hey, look, we had a little problem. We went to get our ball. Your gate must be broken or something like that. And she's injured, and it's now in the branca. And the guy's like, Rich, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. Take care of her. So we get in the car, and I'm going to take her to the hospital. But it just so happens that a week earlier, she had to go to the hospital for some injury that she had. And, And she's like, I'm not going back to the hospital. I'm like, okay, wait. So we happen to pass this liquor store. I stop. I go in. I get a bottle of vodka. I come out. I pour it into this towel, and I rub it up and down her leg. And I got to tell you, She didn't react positively to that. I mean, she was yelping in pain. 
And then she goes, that's fine. That's good enough. And then we sat and we, we got home and drank the re- rest of the bottle of vodka until she passed out because uh, she, she was in a little bit of pain. And so, yeah, I felt pretty bad about that. So the moral of the story is when you're going to drive your cart into this manual single-leaf swing barrier gate and it looks like it's open, just keep your feet straight out so you could kick the gate open. Yeah, yeah, that's the moral of this story. You've been listening to part one of Crash Landings in Tales from the First Tee. Part two will cover snowmobiling, Harley riding, horseback riding, and jet skiing gone horribly wrong. I'm your host, Rich Easton, broadcasting from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. I invite you to visit my webpage, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook page, all Tales from the First Tee, or visit my LinkedIn page at Richard Easton at LinkedIn. If you hate it, don't rate it.